So the subject of this week is sitcoms, and I think Champagne, you had organized some thoughts. Well, I did. I came up with um, a list of subtopics or categories um, for us to consider. But then interestingly, your response was that um, it all comes down to timeless versus timely. Yeah. So uh, maybe you should lead off then, because I, I, I guess you're right. I guess all those subcategories kind of would just conflate into that. Well, but, I'm not um, dissing the subcategories. I'm just saying when I think of it, that's just what I think of. And I, I, I think that to me, the, the great, the ones that last, right? The ones that you can just watch. Like, for example, last night, Seinfeld on, and they were showing um, the marine biologist episode, which is one of I love that one. And you can just sit, and I walked in, and I'd had a really bad day, and I walked in and just sat, and, you know, I was just dipping into part of it. Um, and it was li- literally the scene on the beach where, <laughs> where George, who's been passing himself off as a marine biologist to get the girl, she turns to him. No, the guy says, there's a beached whale. <laughs> Is there a marine biologist? <laughs> and it's house. Yeah, and so you think, to me, the, the, the timeless part of that is the the sitcoms that just create this artificial world, like P.G. Woodhouse. Mm-hmm. You, you, like when you watch Jeeves and Wooster, right? Yes. It's, it's just a, it's this fantasy world in which Woodhouse constructed these incredibly intricate plots, even though they're always about silly things like, like you know, a herd of cats and things like that. And then Seinfeld took that as a template. And so in Seinfeld, you have this crazy world that doesn't really exist anywhere, and they construct these intricate plots about, is there fat in the fat-free yogurt, or, you know, is, <laughs> or Kramer hitting golf balls into the ocean and a beached whale. And then everything, just like Jeeves and Wooster, comes together at the end for this beautiful denouement in, in the best episodes, which Seinfeld got better and better at this as it went along. And you do have to get beyond the monologues um, at the early episodes. And then to me, and I'll, I'll stop here, but what else is like that? Just completely timeless. And it's, I love Lucy. It exists in this strange world where the band leader and the right. ditzy housewife who wants to get into show business, they live in Manhattan, they're middle class. And where she famously said when CBS said, well, we're going to, you're, you're going to be living in Hollywood and you're, you're going to be in the entertainment business. And she said, no way, nobody <laughs> cares about rich people. We have to be middle class. And they moved them to New York and they made them sort of struggling a little bit. Anyway, that, that's my take. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I think um, when you talk about the, the worlds that are created in these sitcoms, I think that means that the humor then relies upon the constants of human nature. Exactly. In, you know, the, the, the foibles, the... Exactly. Which, which remain constant, whatever setting that you put them that in. That is so well put. It, and when it hinges on that, and you have to believe, as I do, that human nature is immutable. That's why we, can, we still read Shakespeare, because the people are the same. We still read the Bible. We, nothing changes in human nature. And when you base it on that, you, you do get something timeless. Right. And again, that, that's one of the categories that I had mentioned 
in our in, in my email to y'all was um, the ones that that we really that really have not held up well. And I think that we could put in that category every single Norman Lear sitcom from the seventies. You know, it's so funny too because All in the Family was such a monster hit with all yeah. of these spinoffs, and I, you know, people beyond a certain age or under a certain age, probably under fifty. Right. may not have any experience with any of those sitcoms because they were highly topical. They were talking about political figures. Uh, they were very topical about the times. Um, yeah, and I, I, ha I can't say they haven't held up, but I've never had any desire to go back and watch them again. Well, you don't see them, I, not that I know what shows are running in syndication everywhere, but they're not the ones that I've run into. And it, Occasionally, I will run into one of them, and I'll look at it, and I'll say, oh, man, this is terrible. This is really, this is nothing. Why would anyone watch this now? They're talking about things that are 50 years old. Who cares? Yeah, they're talking um, about Nixon. Uh, Archie yeah. Bunker was talking about Nixon and Ford. And... Yeah, right. right. I think it's, it's something different, though. I think it has, it's more like the 70s hasn't aged well, because... MASH was not a Norman Lear sitcom, but I cannot laugh at MASH anymore. And so I think it's just the 70s didn't age. No, I'm I, trying to think of any sitcom from the 70s that I would be interested in watching and I maybe can. Taxi. Uh, Mary but Tyler that Moore. Makes, Barney that? Miller. Yeah. Barney Miller. There are some. Okay. Yeah, and but, I think but, Nash fell into the Norman Lear trap of being kind of. It was basically a thinly veiled allegory of the Vietnam experience. Oh yeah, know, transposed right. and, into Korea, and, and it and it was uh, it, it was a tableau for Alan Alda to exercise his sanctimony. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I've got a different take if I can. I think that uh, the successful sitcoms creates characters that you know and they can do anything they want and you'll laugh at it and for example you know anything that the we knew them so well that george could make any line and because we knew his backstory and his foibles previously all of that history would come into that one line and that one line might not mean anything to somebody that didn't know all of George's foibles, but that one line to somebody that knew George would be hilarious. And I never watched the friends, but I tuned into one episode and every, all the humor was lost on me because I didn't know the characters backstories and when Joey would say something foolish, it was only slightly funny to me. Whereas I think if I'd have been familiar with his backstory and his history and all the dumb things he'd done before, it would have been a much richer experience. I think Friends is a good one to talk about because I never warmed up to it, and it was so popular. And every time I dipped into it, I kind of like you, I never stuck with it, but every time I dip into it, it was, I put it in another category that I divide, is the one-liner put down, yeah. like like Golden Girls, which is just one little one-liner put down after another, and the ones that you build up with through the character like Seinfeld or Mary Tyler Love Moore, you know, the great, great shows where things come emerge from the character. 
But I know that I know that Friends is probably a good one to talk about because I know a lot of people like it. Well, my niece, who was a child at the time, wouldn't miss an episode, and that filled me with dismay. <laughs> I was hoping, oh, please do not absorb the values that you live by from this TV wasn't show. Wasn't it pretty, so much. Wasn't it fairly raunchy? Oh, it was very okay. raunchy. Okay. Very raunchy. And you're right. You're right. There was the one-liner put-downs that that was the source of all the humor. Um, you know, the other thing that got to me, but I didn't. I was not a regular watcher. I would tune in every once in a while. But what drove me nuts was another trend that I think started with Cheers, and that is the romantic arc of two of the characters in the ensemble, and it it, it developed as a pattern. Um, there's sexual tension, which they along for a season or two then they bring the characters together they let them be happy for a while but then apparently they can't write about write anything funny about a happy couple so they have to break them up and then they got to bring them back together and it's just exhausting they did that in Moonlighting which wasn't a sitcom really um, and by the time it came along with Friends I said oh I've been down this road so long. I, I, well, I really you- don't give a any, I don't really do not care about what happens to Ross and Rachel I could there's nothing I care less about in this world <laughs> Well, yeah, in that same sitcom, they did manage to write one couple getting together and being funny. That's true. Who, who was it for our the, the uh, uh, for those of us that don't know Monica, Monica and Chandler. Okay. Uh, so, I, 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 at least they learned the, bal- the the how to have a balance in it. Um, you, you would think they would have learned all of this from what happened to I Dream of Jeannie when. <laughs> when things sort of fell apart for the show after after Tony and Jeannie get married. I had no, I never watched it that long. Like, I, it was on reruns for all of us, of course. Oh, but that was... I never watched it that far. I never saw, or either that or they weren't weren't running those episodes. Probably maybe that was the last season or something. I don't know. That was the last this, two seasons? Well, this was, not, I don't, I doubt you would have been watching it in the original run. Yeah, I certainly didn't. It was this reruns, was something. Yeah. This was in reruns, Yeah. And, and I, you know, I was a, a, a little girl even in the reruns and I loved it. But what was interesting to me is that I, re- I read later that Barbara Eden fought, fought, fought the producers, did not want Tony and Jeannie to marry. And she turned out to be right. They did it because the show was always apparently struggling with ratings. Oh. Unlike The Witch, which was a monster hit. I Dream of Jeannie was always kind of struggling. And, and so the producers decided, well, we'll marry them off and that will, you know, bump up the ratings and it turned out it was the, the end of the series. And of course, most of these producers and showrunners are just complete hacks, you know, who mm-hmm. don't know what they're... Um, another great sexual tension, you bring it up, is what it did to Frasier, which was a great, great show. And you had the invisible character, the Vera from Cheers mm-hmm. is Maris, right? And then you had... Niles and Daphne with that tension throughout, right? And then they resolve it and they bring them. And I did watch that. They bring them together and the show just fell apart. It, it well, just compl- to me, it completely fell apart once they got together. Well, you know, the, the problem was that I think in that case, they probably, the, the writers had exhausted that business of Niles longing for Daphne and she being totally unaware of it. I, I think it's, it's, you know, after seven, eight years, however it was, <laughs> that was getting to be old and, 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 yeah, and maybe fair. I think this, I think the show maybe had just run its course. I'm not sure it was putting Niles and Daphne together that did it, 
because the the Frasier character himself seemed to be running out of steam. Okay, yeah, it, and but it did run thing. for years and years. Yeah, and years. it was eleven years. Yeah, I think. and I think I think the character of Frasier Crane is the longest running sitcom <laughs> character in history because he had all those years on Cheers, and then Frasier itself had a huge run. So he's he was, was this character. He played this character. Uh, Kelsey Grammer played this character for something like twenty years. Right. It was a great show. Um, you know, trivial trivia is one of the producers, one of the main people, was on one of the nine eleven planes, was killed yeah. on nine eleven. Yeah. 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 Sorry, sorry, fever. <laughs> there's no. There's a there, another um, facet of this is the characters, the other characters in the sitcom watching. The back and forth, knowing Frazier knew how when when Daphne was warming up to Niles and Niles didn't know it, and Niles was always warmed up to Daphne and Daphne didn't know it, and Frazier knew the whole time what was going on because he was, you know, he was it, uh, uh, the both of them were open with him, um, and that was another aspect of the how do I respond to this on again off again romance. I don't remember if how many. I guess I guess everybody and friends knew that Ross and Rachel were odd to get off again, and were there funny yeah, no, aspects yeah. of how they responded to uh, to to the to the relationship? Or well, yeah. I'm, I, having said that, I don't really haven't really watched all the episodes. I don't really know. But in the case of Niles and it wasn't on again off again with them. It was it's there. But nobody knows. <laughs> and, <laughs> the, the, and, and the, the neither principals one of, are unaware of it. But right, only, neither only one the knew that the other one was receptive. So, I mean, I, as I say, not having been too dev- too much of a devotee of Friends, I don't know how the other characters responded to that in any um, meaningful way. But. Frasier violates one of the things that we've already said, which is I can't think of any other sitcom where the characters, as popular, but the characters were so well off. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's, there was that's... never any money problems there, except but, briefly when Niles was separated from from Maris. And <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? They that was part of the structure that worked because you know they were these aloof, you know, basically an aloof gay couple, right? With no earthly attack. You know, he lived up in the sky and there were no earthly, they couldn't do anything practical. And there was so much humor in that. And of course the earthbound figure was the father, right? Who sat in that duct tape to easy chair. <laughs> so I think in that sense, it totally works that they were kind of above the clouds, high, oh, yeah. high powered, high paid. Yeah. Big money, <laughs> no skills. <laughs> Reminds and of me of course, somebody. <laughs> And there is a dog to keep everyone grounded. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it, if you're going to ask at the end, and I don't know that you will, but maybe you will now, um, favorite sitcom of all time, I think it's for me it would be a tie between I Love Lucy and Frasier. That's a great question. So I Love Lucy and Frasier. Let's go around. So those are champagnes. Well, Let's say you can have three, if you had three, a third. Okay, let me think about that while, okay. you take some, while you make some rounds with everyone. Well, I'm, since you talked about groundedness, I'm going to bring in one we haven't talked about yet, uh, which involves and the most grounded of all the characters, a sewer worker. And that's the honeymoon. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> yes. Um, 
And, and also another little, another trend is, you know, how many uh, that this represents is some of these sitcoms began as skits on another comedy show, um, like Mama's Family, um, and expanded into, into full-time, uh, uh, full-time uh, shows. Uh, uh, you know, I, again, it's, I think the characters that make this work, most especially, most especially Ralph, but, you know, long-suffering and patient Alice and um, um, Norton with his sometimes coming up with schemes. To, well, both he and Ralph came up with schemes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they're, uh, Ralph's self-aggrandizement as a character and uh, nonetheless, I'm always wanting to uh, to, to provide you know, I, I, and and his dealings with his own self-image and how Alice brought him to earth and and yet restored him at the same time. Um, and though the I, maybe this says too much about my marriage <laughs> <laughs> that, no. I, that I identify no. with the show. You are no Ralph Crampton here. <laughs> But that's that's a compliment. <laughs> so thank you. Um, but yeah, that's that would be. So that would that yeah. would have to be one of my three. Yeah. Um, I did very much enjoy Bewitched, um, and of the newer ones, uh, Frasier. Okay. All right. Oh, I wish we had a colleague of ours on this podcast to talk about Bewitched because it was from him that I first heard the, the analysis that, that Bewitched is actually a, sat, a satire on middle-class marriage and, you know, an American business from the mid-century. And, and when you look at it that way, it does change the show for you a lot. It's a great show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Her, her personality is confined by, is that what you're talking about? Confined yes, by the, the conformity to... Yeah, if, if you take a strictly, you know, if you will, I guess with the feminists, how they would interpret it, yeah, that she, she suppresses her, her, her individuality to conform to his, you know, all this sort of thing. But it kind of spoils it if you go too far. Well, yeah, I think if you... Interestingly, Jamie doesn't. Which is why I always preferred it. Which <laughs> gets back to why... Yeah, well, what did you what did you find fascinating in Jeannie? Was it that she had was magical, or that she didn't listen to Darren? I Tony. mean, to Tony. Well, you were the one who pointed. We we, we have an interesting marriage, Doctor John Hugh and I. We go into long, have long discussions about things like Bewitched versus I Dream of Jeannie. <laughs> he said that Jeannie is a she's a tornado. She's a nightmare. Any, any man with any sense would stay far away from her. I started thinking, yeah, she does whatever she wants. Maybe that's why I like the show. <laughs> <laughs> she only appears to, well, to it, conform. But to even it's, barely there. It's, and, and it's fascinating that which was always more popular when you have that character of Endora, which is everybody's nightmare of what, you know, their mother-in-law would be. She, she hates you and she has the power to hurt you. <laughs> Durwood, <laughs> Durwood, which, by the way, I uh, that that came back to help at one point. That one of my one of my younger relatives was dating a boy that I didn't think was paying proper attention to her, and I could never remember his name. And Sally suggested that I just 
Champagne suggested that I just call him <laughs> Durwood. <laughs> okay, Durwood. You may... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what? What? Doctor Fever. I am. So you have the honeymooners and be, genie. Honeymooners, be... honeymooners, bewitched, and Fraser. Okay. Okay. Uh, troublemaker. I've I've got to say Gilligan's Island. I'm glad nobody called it first. We'll talk about uh, but it. But why? I think that was the funniest TV show of all time, and for a couple of reasons. I think a lot of people think of it as just a simple-minded sitcom, but uh, in that uh, isolated island setting, there was the rich man, the scientist, um, the actress, the all-American girl. And uh, the cat, the captain was the authority. The skipper was the authority figure, and Gilligan was an heir of every man. And they could use that isolated island setting as um, to lampoon so many subjects, you know, from politics to pop music. Uh, my favorite episode was "Don't Bug the Mosquitoes," which is a lampoon of pop music. And I think another aspect was the music, the soundtrack to Gilligan's Island was so sophisticated. And uh, the CBS network of the 1960s was a, uh, it was also known as the Tiffany network. It was a very classy production and the music and those CBS productions from the sixties was excellent. And if you watch Perry Mason, uh, some of the incidental music from Perry Mason shows up on Gilligan's Island, oh, really? for example. Really? If somebody turns on a car radio in Perry Mason, <laughs> this music that you hear will show up on Gilligan's Island episodes. And uh, so the music department from CBS in the 1960s was superb. And uh, so listen to the background music of Gilligan's Island, and it is excellent. And uh, I was listening to a CD by a composer named Don Ray, who was part of the music department of 1960 CBS. And uh, he had a piano concerto, and one of the themes from Gilligan's Island shows up in his <laughs> piano concerto. So the, the production was just way beyond what anybody gives it uh, credit for. So Gilligan's Island. And in fact, um, I watched a Charlie Chaplin movie. I think it was The Great Dictator. And he was doing the same stuff Gilligan was doing. He ripped his entire act off of Gilligan. Charlie mm. Chaplin, that is. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to say Gilligan's Island yeah. is the best all time. And Charlie Chaplin, the time traveler. So, <laughs> um, any any others? Because that's a great analysis. Uh, Seinfeld second, Frasier third. Oh wow, Frasier's okay. Um, you know, I I still remember Gilligan. They did a um, like a, a a musical episode where they they oh, did a performance. To the Hamlet, to yeah. the soundtrack from Carmen. It was oh, fantastic. And, of course, the record player they made out of the ship's wheel. 
which yeah. they cranked and they could play record. Of course, you can play records and make banana cream pies. I mean, it's it's island. It's not Survivor, that's for sure. <laughs> that is so clever. But it was so. It was just like that Bugs Bunny, you know, when they did take off on Wagner, right? The Bugs mm-hmm. Bunny cartoon. And I just still remember that episode from Gilligan's Island. Very kid friendly show for sure, because it's fun on many but levels. But so sophisticated. Yeah. yeah. You know who? When you're six years old. How do you know what Hamlet is and our Carmen, you know? <laughs> so it was very, very sophisticated. Very clever. True. And you're right about being kid-friendly because I loved it as a child myself. Yeah, it is kid-friendly. All right. So uh, anyway, those were nice attempts. So let me give you the definitive list of the best. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> my top, as you will surprise no one, is Seinfeld for all the reasons I've talked about. Second is Lucy, for all the reasons I've already talked about. I mean, I Love Lucy is a, that's a towering, what, decade or more of television? Because I think it went off in 1960, right? Almost a decade. The third, and the third is a tie. <laughs> um, you've already mentioned it. The Eunice sketches on The Carol Burnett Show. I think those, they're not really sitcoms, but they're everything that's great about humor because it all comes out of the character of Eunice, who, like Lucy, wants to be bigger than she is, and the constant put-downs. and the, the Carol Burnett bought such a pathos to that performance. You know, you, you, it was, they were incredible. And I don't, you know, I, we did watch the Carol Burnett show as kids. It was on CBS, Saturday night. By the way, she says... Carol Burnett made the point you did, Troublemaker. She said, we could never do that show, even five years later, because they had a 28-piece orchestra, and nobody would pay for it. There's, there's no way the network could have budgeted for that after the show went off the air. Um, so the Eunice little one-act plays were little genius productions. It's just fantastic. I, I have to tell you, I never really watched the, the TV series that it's spun off Mama's Family. It's entirely different. I mean, it's, it, can, it, it is good, but it's not as good as the as the um, skits. I, I think you think more highly of it than I do because they. Cha- I mean, they change the Mama character is much, much, much softened in the sitcom because you can't have the harsh that horrible yeah. Harrod and leading. <laughs> I mean, the, she's a horrible old lady in the skits, and just, <laughs> so in, but in the in the sitcom. She's just curmudgeonly, you know, kind of a nice curmudgeon, which is quite different. I can hear the consultants now. She has to be likable, more right, likable. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's what the, everything has to be likable. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. that's funny because a lot of great characters like Scarlett O'Hara are not very likable. Um, <laughs> and then the You must t- be quoting Florence King. She used to say that in her <laughs> columns. She, she, oh. she says, Americans have this disease. I mean, that they, they have to, everybody has to be likable. She says they miss so much because of that. Well, and, or Seinfeld. They're four incredibly unlikable people, and yet you're just you're going along for the ride with them. <laughs> um, so my the other tie is, I mean, the tie for the top three, and I, I don't really, I can't really rank them as absolutely fabulous, which is Jennifer Saunders. Oh yes, and good call. She, I think Jennifer Saunders is the greatest living comedy writer in the world. And she did those um, in episodes of six. So she'd do six episodes and 
the first three seasons of it, the first 18 episodes, which are three years, are the best social commentary on the baby boomer generation ever written. And that's what it is. It's a lacerating social commentary um, on the Clinton-Bush generation. And it's amazing. And she flits around in time. You know, she's, she's anywhere from her, in her late 20s to her early 40s. She, it's just very Shakespearean. She pays no attention to, to anything, but just creates these, um, again, it's, it's, it's kind of its own little world, right? She creates this, Jennifer Saunders, the writer, creates this own little world uh, that's very Woodhousian because there's lots of fantasy elements in it. And then, of course, she plays one of the leads along with um, Joanna Lumley, who was, you know, in Are You Being Served? Joanna Lumley had this amazing career. So she plays one of the leads, and then the characters are fantastic. It's all women. There's no men in it. It's, it's, it's a mother-daughter, best-friend kind of tension that she builds up. Fantastic show. You know, it was popular in the era when I didn't have cable. So I've never seen it, and I'm sitting here. You've talked about it before, and now today I am determined. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm determined the to get The first three seasons have an arc. Like, there's an arc. Like, she ended it. Kind of, and then the money started rolling in, obviously, and then she just kept going and made movies. There's been two movies and made a bunch of additional seasons, and they're all good. But the first three seasons have an arc that's really moving, and it's at the end they're talking about, uh, you know, the why? Why do we exist? What are we here for? What are we doing? And it gets very philosophical um, at the end, and it's very. It's both surprising and not because the depth of the humor comes in. Now, it's very raunchy. It's very broad. It's body. Um, but it's the first three seasons are just a, a work of art, in my view. That was the first show that I ever binge watched. I was fortunate enough to have the cable at the time. And I think it was the Comedy Channel. They'd been advertising it and building it up. And I think it was a Sunday afternoon. They showed five or six episodes in a row. And I started watching and I could not leave the television set for that. And I was chained. And um, that was an excellent show. It makes me want to ask, what is she doing now? She's, you know, she's tried to branch out into a lot of things. I'm not saying she didn't do it successfully because, you know, she's over in London. She's working for the BBC. I mean, she was a contract person, but she had an office in the BBC. She was an employee, right? Made a lot of successful stuff. But she was in some movies. She was in a couple of movies. She made the two Ab Fab movies, which are relatively recent, um, and she did a lot of specials, so I, I'm not really sure beyond that. Because that, that television show was so brilliant, but I only think of her in relation to that yeah. TV show, whereas uh, like Monty Python, you think of those actors in association with Monty Python, but also outside of Monty Python, um, John Cleese did a lot of great movies as well. Oh, yeah. Outside oh. of the Monty Python. Well, he did um, A Fish Called Wanda and Fierce Creatures, yeah. two oh, wonderful movies, wonderful movies yeah. with great soundtracks, to your point. Um, well, can I take off 
Frazier as third place and put Monty Python's Flying Circus. No, you can. T- it's 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 free form. You can do whatever you want. Because uh, <laughs> I forgot about Monty Python's Flying Circus. That was truly groundbreaking at the time, uh, and added added uh, an aspect of animation. Remember those animated? Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. So Monty Python was very good. I hadn't thought, been thinking in terms of written until you brought up absolutely fabulous. But well, I would uh, my only quibble um, troublemaker would be that Monty Python wasn't strictly a sitcom, which is what we've been talking about. But oh, we don't, we don't have I, to be. But you know, there are a bunch of um, British sitcoms that that really are, are high up there. Good, good neighbors may be the best one. Yeah. And there's the, excuse me. We have a. <laughs> A barking dog here who's wished but yeah but um i loved good neighbors um there are others too that we you know um, are you being paid i made yeah. that mistake on purpose just so i could bring up british <laughs> well if you're gonna but do that with the young was, ones are you being was, not as much- was still worthwhile they would play occasional british sitcoms and the young ones i would add that list. I, I love the young ones. I have not seen that. Um, Are You Being Served? I love. Uh, as, uh, you know, it's another one that ran for like 14 years. Yeah, you know, I, I think did. my, I'm sorry, I think my favorite would be one that had a very limited run to the manor born. I think that was one of the funniest TV series ever. I have not seen that. Well, the, the premise is it's, it's um, a woman who has, um, her husband has died. And they live on a, a man, and and because of taxation, death duties, and things like that, she um, she has to sell. She ends up selling to what she considers a parvenu, uh, a, a, a man who is uh, of not of English extraction, who's made his money in trade, and she's living on the cottage on the on the on the the grounds of the of the manor. And so the tension, there's actually a romantic tension between the two of them, and it's very very funny because she represents the old line English way of doing things. And he's the, 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 the new, the new guard, if you will. And it's oh, very, cool. very funny. And of course, faulty towers. How can we not talk about faulty well, towers? Well, yeah, I was going to bring that up as sort of a forbidden, uh, forbidden pleasure because as someone who works in the service industry, there's a little part of me that identifies as faulty way too much. <laughs> Well, there was another <coughs> college uh, classmate of ours who spent a semester um, at Oxford, and he came back saying, well, you know, the reason that the British love Faulty Towers so much is that they're forced to be polite to everyone. That's their, that's their social construct, if you will. But what they, they all, in their heart of hearts, really want to be Basil Faulty. Letting <laughs> And what was his Prunella Scales as his wife? She was so funny in that, in that <laughs> oh. show. With Champagne, where do you see the British sitcoms? The the to the Manor Born, for example. Where did you catch that one? Those those were all in our local PBS station. Oh, okay. And I, you know, to the Manor Born, I have acquired on DVD because I loved it so much. And that's how I saw. Are you being served? Was local PBS just? bought it up and showed it from when it was black and white to the 1980s. Yeah. Mm. That's well, a great I- conceit. Are you being served? I always thought the reason it's so moving is it's all these p- 
put upon people, right? They're all pressed down by this society and power and money, and they're all just trying to hold on to their dignity. And it's just, that's the, the thread that seems, that I think carries you through that show. Are you being served, that is? Yes. So um, one of the other to- subtopics that I thought about, and I don't know if this is one, um, undiscovered gems or, or, or less known sitcoms that we particularly love that have not gotten perhaps the attention they deserve yeah, or were canceled. Unknown gems, is that it? Or? Lesser known gems or, or particular favorites of ours that perhaps the wider world um, doesn't know as much about. Um, well, I think we've covered a few of those, but we... <laughs> right. Well, okay. I, I admit that when I brought up the category, I had one specific show in mind, and um, it's a show that maybe even none of you know. It's called Frank's Place. Don't know it. Okay. Um, a, a short intro. It was produced by the same guy who did WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh, and the star was one of the one of the one of the stars from that show, which is Tim Reed. And the premise it was it's a very it is a it's made by and for New Orleanians because Frank's place was inspired by a local restaurant and it's an all African American cat. Is it set well, in New Orleans? Is it set in New Orleans? It's set in New Orleans. And it is maybe the only show that's ever really gotten New Orleans right. And as it only lasted a season, and no and nobody was really surprised about that because I know my family would say, this show is fantastic, but nobody outside of New Orleans is going to understand what's going on. And it was very, very key to the local eccentricities and the local humor. Oh, um, wow. For example, there's a character who comes to the restaurant whose name is Bubba Weisberg. Now, only a New Orleanian would find that funny. Wait, wait, say the name again. Bubba Weisberg. <laughs> <laughs> and and one, of the, one of the eccentricities about this is that people spoke the way our locals speak. I heard a story that the producer was on an airplane, and he happened to be sitting next to a New Orleanian with the beloved Yat accent. <laughs> and he listened to the guy and he ended up hiring him to play one of the kitchen staff because according to the story, it was easier to teach this guy how to act than to hire an actor and teach him how to speak this way. <laughs> so it was genius. And it opened up with um, the recording of Louis Armstrong singing, do you know what it means to miss new Orleans? Oh, wow. And it was just beautiful. It was it was just it, it cap it captured the city in in a way that no no other show. So had. when did this run? It was only a season. It was in the late eighties, around like okay. eighty six, eighty seven, somewhere in there. Um, Post WKRP, obviously. Yes, yeah. it was after after that. Yeah, and um, it, unfortunately, it's not available on video either because it incorporated a lot of local music, and getting the rights to do that is very expensive, so it was never released. So hmm. it's just, it's a lost gem, really. Uh, and there, were, right. there were lots of little details that, that uh, alas, New Orleanians would probably be the only ones to catch. Um, the chef in the restaurant wore a Navy captain's hat, a la Austin Leslie. Um, the most prominent family in the sitcom was a family that owned the funeral home. <laughs> 
so some of those, you know, just, just some details at the, the, the ringing of truth in it was probably something that maybe nobody outside of New Orleans would have caught. So I, I'm sure the rest of the country was completely mystified. And, <laughs> and although the humor, would, you and, could appreciate the humor without knowing, having these reference points, it maybe wasn't strong enough if you didn't have the reference yeah. points. Was there a writer or producer from New Orleans? Involved with the show? You no, know, I don't know. I, I I don't know. He had to have had some local <laughs> consultants because he just got it. It was just too right, too often at the time. And now I'm, I'm wondering, maybe you all have some more experience with watching Treme. You said this was the show that got New Orleans the best. Uh, has well, I didn't watch Treme. <laughs> I, I did watch some of Treme. I mean, it wasn't really a sitcom, but I thought it had just too many false notes. Um, and I also think Treme suffered from the uh, Montana Avenue syndrome, I call it, where you get a bunch of actors who live within three blocks of one another in Santa Monica, right off the ocean, and you jet them into New Orleans and, for, <laughs> and you make a show, and they have no sense of what it means. And then all the... Um, you know, the smaller parts were played by local actors and they were all terrific and the leads were all terrible you know, in, in my opinion. So I just, I couldn't stick with it. It was too phony. Interesting. What show are we talking about? Treme. Okay. It was an HBO and it was, it was made, I mean, it was filmed, I think, entirely in New Orleans. It was all filmed locally and it looked great. Well, I I hate to say I didn't watch NCIS New Orleans either, except for, that's not a sitcom. I watched a couple of episodes and I thought, well, they've got the exteriors right, but yeah. I, you know, I just wasn't moved to watch further. Yeah, I don't think these Hollywood actors, which, you know, I love Hollywood actors, but it's I don't think that they, to your point about Frank's place, they just don't have any of the sensibility and they just, it's kind of like, you know, when Cary Grant pops into a picture, he can only play Cary Grant. You know, he can't play a character. It's kind of like, that's yeah. what I think about these um, modern day <laughs> <laughs> stars. I, I wouldn't exactly think of this as a lost gem, but I think I thought more of Barney Miller than a lot of my friends did. Um, I watched that pretty regularly, and it was a reasonably popular show. And, and I don't know that um, the... The helping each, the the various kinds of people you find in the workplace and how they rub against and rub and and support each other is an interesting theme. And my my brother in law, uh, who is a policeman, tells me that this is the one that gets policemen the best. Uh, so that led some you know uh, some made me feel better about having liked the show. <laughs> well, I think. Of, of slight variation on uh, Champagne's topic would be shows that I'm afraid I will never see again. And uh, I'm worried that I'll never see Taxi again or Get Smart. Those uh, aren't exactly hidden gems. Everybody knows those shows, but I'm afraid that uh, they'll just never be brought back. Well, as a matter of fact, um, Dr. Johnny Fever has a talent for finding things. Um, there is uh, a channel called Decades. Yes. And it's so named because 
every day they take a different decade and run shows. They were, we tuned in the other night and they were running Taxi and Get Smart. Oh my. <laughs> it was in the wee hours of the morning. And so I didn't see it, but. Well, that's it's, why uh, we have DVRs. <laughs> When I, actually, when I had COVID, <laughs> I tuned into Decades, and they were doing a Mary Tyler Moore marathon. You know, that was the decade, and they're just, yeah, it was just, I probably watched 20 episodes and re- realized how great the show really was. Mm-hmm. At its best, it had some clunkers. Yes, yes. So look for Decades in your area, as they say. All right. Well, shall we bring it home? And is anything else? Is there anything else we have to say about sitcoms? Because now it's definitive. Um, <laughs> the, subject, the subject will be closed. <laughs> I think I've opined and blathered enough. <laughs> it's amazing how much faster it goes when we don't sp- spend an hour and fifteen minutes with our technical staff not being able to figure out how to make this work. Well, I'm concerned about today's technical effects with squeaking doors and barking dogs, uh, but I guess it's just part of the charm. Exactly. Exactly. We, we're, we're out in the field. We're not in a studio. We're in the real world. Oh. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> that was punctuated, yes. <laughs> and I'd say the most mentioned show in the most lists was Frasier. That's unscientific, but... It was a quality show. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I I would not have guessed that. Oh, All right. there is a Frasier reboot coming, but I have, don't have much hope for it. With Kelsey Grammer? With Kelsey Grammer. It's Frasier many years later, but with an entirely different cast, although older cast members will be making cameo appearances, but it'll be interesting to see if that works. That will be interesting. And you know... He's done it before, right? He went from Cheers to his own show, and then didn't didn't Frasier ran for many years more than longer than Cheers did, didn't? Yeah, it? yeah. Well, Frasier ran for eleven years, and Cheers was I don't know how many nine maybe. Somewhere. Yeah, okay. But they were both huge monster yeah. successes. Yeah. yeah, obviously. It's like, uh, oh God, Do- Doogie Hauser, um, who's be- oh he was on made a star of you know where's your mother or- right. That's the, how, I'm, how I met your mother, and he's doing a comedy show on HBO. Um, that's written by the same guy that did uh, Sex in the City, and I'm mm. sad to say it's really terrible. But um, mm. but he's very talented, and he is. He did a musical. Um, uh, what was the musical? Doctor Hor No, Doctor Horrible's Sing Along Blog. <laughs> But that guy, um, Doogie Hauser, does cameos in the um, Harold and Kumar movies. Oh, he does? And he's got a song and dance routine in the Harold and Kumar Christmas movie. So if you like um, that guy, Doogie, doing song and dance, you really need to watch the Howard Howard and Kumar, Harold and Kumar Christmas movie. And they show it several times every Christmas season. So it will be coming up. And he is a really good song and dance man. He is. He And, you know, from a child actor, you know, Hollywood is very cruel to child actors. He was actors. a joke, yeah. Yeah, and for him to make make a career for himself after that, that's a big deal. And he seems like, I don't know what he is in, in person, but he seems like he's a nice 
he's turned into kind of a, a nice guy, which is also yeah. unusual. And he's also he also does magic. He does. He did magic on uh, How I Met Your Mother. Oh, I didn't know that. Which we should have mentioned because that was a pretty good show too. And had I, a very long run. I never watched it, so I don't I don't know. It was a very good ensemble cast. Let's let's talk about our favorite ensembles. Oh, good okay. Let's keep the sitcom talk going. And we can each talk about our favorite ensemble. Well, you know, I was just thinking that there ought to be a disclaimer on this podcast because anyone who listens to this is gonna say, But why did you talk about this show, how could okay. you possibly... And so, you know, we just don't have time to Champagne, no, plus, this is the definitive guide. So if right. we didn't talk about it, it's not important. Right. Well... Oh, I can't <laughs> oh, Sorry. <laughs> then maybe I do need to mention Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how... I, I, I didn't mention Schitt's Creek or that because... Well, Big Bang Theory is not one of my favorites. I think it's a very good show. But I wonder how they'll age. I think Big Bang Theory may not age well, um, but That's I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. Does it, it's not particularly topical. Well, it's not, but it's also, to me, it's sort of a one-note. It's sort of one-note. You know, every character is just a one-note character. and there's Whereas Schitt's yeah. Creek, I think, fits into the Seinfeld, I love Lucy mold of being this weird, timeless universe where a whole family lives in a motel room for six years. <laughs> It's just, if you think about it, it's crazy. <laughs> I do have to confess that one of the initial aspects that attracted me to Big Bang Theory, now I had not watched it through, I quit watching it after two or three seasons, which tells you that maybe it won't, maybe it won't age too well. But for those first few years, what kept me watching was, all I looked at this, and, oh my Lord, those are the boys I went to high school with. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much college, but high school, except there is one character that reminds me of one of our college friends. And lest I get into dangerous territory, I might just stop there. <laughs> but there, there was one episode. That, that would be Sheldon. Well, yeah. there, there was one episode where they're all, this group of people, they all want to figure out which restaurant to go to followed by which movie. And it ends up being this very complicated flow chart. And it ends up with, there is no possible combination of restaurants and movies that will satisfy everyone. So they just decide not to go out. That one hit very close to home. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a, it's a very funny show. I do, yeah, I, you know, you, you can't know. Um, you can't know how it's going to age. I think Schitt's Creek will... Enter the pantheon of timeless classics, but Big Bang Theory, I'm not so sure about, but that's only one opinion. So, ensembles. Troublemaker, I'm guessing your ensemble is uh, Gilgan's Island? Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think I want to give an honorable mention to How I Met Your Mother, which I think was a great ensemble, included uh, the actor that was more famous for Doogie Howser. Um, Neil Patrick Robin was a character that's gone on to fame in the uh, those uh, cartoon movies, the uh, Marvel Studios uh, mega universe movies. Um, she's in those. Um, but uh, How I Met Your Mother was a very funny show that went on for a very long time, and uh, 
I, I think that will stand the test of time. Yeah. Well, the plotting was, I didn't watch it very much, but I watched the last few shows and that was some of the most complex, intricate plotting and ultimately very clever. Oh, that, that, so I, I love stuff like that. Yeah. Sorry, Champagne. I stepped on your line. Oh, I've been stepping on people's lines on uh, this podcast. I need to start <laughs> trying to shut up. I have to say, um, I may be stealing Champagne. I think one of the strongest ensembles where every character seemed perfectly cast was Cheers. You know, and they would just bring people. Frazier didn't start out on Cheers, right? He was an introduction, came in during the run sometime. And started right. He wasn't, he wasn't from the beginning. And no. the setting was a bar. Anybody can walk into a bar. I mean, it was a brilliant setup. And they, if you think about it, the, um, yeah, I think the writing was fantastic and each of the characters was beautifully cast. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the character Frasier Crane, remember he came in as Diane's boyfriend after the first breakup with Sam. (laughs) And what a breath of fresh air that was. (laughs) I never really believed that Sam and Diane made sense. Frasier and Diane made a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah. I, it's just funny how things like that work out, right? Because they, uh, Shelley Duvall, no, was it Shelley? No, not. Who was, who was Diane? What's the actress's name? Shelley Long. Shelley Long. Long. I'm saying Shelley Duvall. Shelley Long, you know, they all hated her because she was so above it all. You know, they all said they were an, a real ensemble and she would do her hair and makeup completely separately and waltz onto the set. And especially Carla, I can't remember. The DeVito, I can't remember her name. Her, the act, um, would Danny DeVito's then wife. Yeah, had nothing good to say about Shelley. Well, it was clear because look what they did to the character of Diane. Diane starts out as quirky, yeah, but she ends up being hateful. Rhea Perlman, you're talking about. Rhea Perlman, thank you. So um, it was clear that they did not like Shelley Long on that yeah. show because of what they did to her character, which is awful. You know, it's just. So and, and who knows what the truth was, but and then she, well, she went hasn't on to done very much. Well, she went on to play. If if everything that Rhea Perlman says in these interviews is true, then it didn't work out because she went on to do those trashy Disney movies in the eighties, and then did played Florence Henderson's part in the Brady Bunch movies, which she was very good in. You know, keep giving me chances to talk about other, you know, a few a few sentences about other sitcoms and picking one when you talk about the whole ensemble it's does the comedy come from the whole ensemble and Cheers is a, Cheers is a very good example of that uh, but uh, some of the other shows that work that way were Bob Newhart and Taxi and well the one that I am named for WKRP in Cincinnati um, yes. So, but especially Taxi, we, you, you, um, you, I thought it was funny at the time, but now you look back and you say, all these people who went on to have bigger leading, leading bigger roles in other places, this is where they first gained notoriety. And um, it's sort of a, you know, all-star greatest hits uh, kind of uh, character. And they all worked well together. Yeah. Which is easier said than done. I mean, I. It makes me think the the ensemble of the heart, for me, is Mary Tyler Moore show. And to your point, 
you know, Cloris Leachman left to do her show, and Valerie Harper left to do Rhoda, and you know, every she had all these defections of people going on to be become stars in their own right. But that ensemble played together so well. I don't know if they liked each other personally, but it seemed like they did, and they were just they. I remember reading a book about it, and uh, Ed Asner, who played Lou Grant, was very concerned that he'd be perceived as this bully, you know, kind of taking it out on, you know, the innocent Mary Tyler Moore, who viewers thought had just divorced from Dick Van Dyke, you know, and went moved to Minneapolis. <laughs> so, so she already had the deck stacked, stacked against her. And for people who don't know, that was a big thing because Mary Tyler Moore was a huge star in the Dick Van Dyke show. And then when she did her own show, uh, I think they originally were going to make her a divorcee and CBS nixed it because they said, no, you can't get divorced from Rob Petrie, Dick Van Dyke's character. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. They, she was supposed to be a divorcee. And instead it was kind of this mushy, she got jilted, you know, by anyway. Um, but boy, did they bring you in. They drew, they drew you in. Um, um, not just in sympathy for them, but it just kind of made you feel a part of something joyous that they were doing together, which is really moving. Our single favorite comedy moment. And for me, it's got to go to WKRP, the Thanksgiving episode where they dropped the turkeys out of the helicopter. That's the single, I think the single funniest thing that's ever been shown on the television. For me, that moment, will always go to Carol Burnett's show when they did the spoof of Gone with the Wind. <laughs> and she she came out. She Bob Mackey, the costume designer, came out with a curtain rod and the green drapes from the scene when they ripped the drapes down and, and uh, Hattie McDaniel makes her a dress. And of course, the one-liner is, I saw it, because the audience is howling, and she says, I saw it in the window and I couldn't pass it up. <laughs> it's so funny. I think the um, All in the Family episode where Sammy Davis Jr. kicks kisses Carol O'Connor. <laughs> One very good moment, yes. <laughs> I remember that show. Well, for me, uh, going back to your your compliments about Mary Tyler Moore, to me, it's the episode, The Death of Chuckles, when she's at Chuckles. <laughs> yes. Chuckles bites the dust. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I'll never forget Mary Tyler Moore when, after criticizing people for making these corny jokes about the death of Chuckles, cannot control herself right. at the beginning. It's just, she, she did it so beautifully too, Mary Tyler Moore. All the, all the, like Murray and all the characters. Mary, Mary, get a, get a hold of yourself. <laughs> That was a great episode. All right, let's bring it home. Um, anything else we have to say about sitcoms? Or can, shall we close the book and then we'll move on to another topic? <laughs> Just kidding. We've said all that can be said. <laughs> that was awesome. So, all right. Thanks, everybody. This was fun. 